started as any other day. I, I think I can make money off my beard as, as well as you just rubbing it on this mic- sensitive-ass microphone, but mm-hmm. I can't do that shit. It makes my ears feel crazy, but I think that's why people like it, though. It's, I mean, well, it depends on what it is. Yeah. I, I, I think I get why people like I, I Yeah, I do get why people like it. It's a sensation that it can create, but sometimes it's, like, cringy. And it's like, oh, I don't fucking yeah. like it. It's like nails on a chalkboard type thing. Right. And other things, there's, like, it's pleasant. It creates a pleasant feeling. That's yeah. why I say cat purrs. Are the only, cat, cat purrs are probably the only ASMR that I enjoy. The rest of it is kind of like, I don't like that. When a cat purrs on top of me, it makes my spine feel crazy. So it makes my, it makes, give me the heebie-jeebies and shit. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, they say that the, their purring is at like 120 hertz or whatever. They say it's apparently at a perfect vibration to, to uh, help healing and like soothing and stuff. That's, they think that's why they do it. That's it, cool. It, owns, it aids in like bone repair and whatnot. They also know when your ass is going to die, so mm-hmm. oh, yeah. fuck around and see. Did you see that, um, the new the sequel to The Shining? No. Okay, well, there, there's a cat. He, at one point, he's working in a hospice, and there's a cat <laughs> in the hospice that keeps going into the room of whoever's going to die. Like, oh, and, shit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, what up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in today. You're listening to Macabre Reality, true stories of everyday horror. That's Matt right over there. Hey, how's it going? good and this is where i usually wait were you asking me or are you ask are you asking the audience uh should i answer you that? are so you are the stand-in for the audience okay we're doing good we're do, the macabre we're doing great right but usually the I theoretical you doing, audience but i'm not going to do that this time why not and it's not because i don't want to know how you're doing it's because i've been trying to work up the nerve to ask you a question all week mm-hmm. and i'm just nervous and i just they're having you know, at the Hyatt, they're having this thing. Would you, I'll just say, would you like to go to the tea dance with me? Well, yes, I'll go to the yes. tea dance with you. Because I feel like we could really crush the dance floor mm-hmm. and really smash. Ooh, I like it. <laughs> I just hope they're playing Satin Doll. Oh, I have a feeling they will. You know what? Hey, I'm sorry for saying no earlier. Now I realize you had like a whole thing set up. <laughs> hey, that's okay. That's all right. You know what? In improv, you never say no. I you know, never I say no. Yes, and. Yes, yes and. and. It's not no. <laughs> no, no, period. <laughs> and there goes my <laughs> that, bit. That would okay. be my improv. <laughs> no, period. But, okay, but I guess how are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? Oh, my God. I'm feeling blazed and blessed as usual. All right. Well, today we have a crazy story. If you haven't guessed it already, um, this is possibly the deadliest game of Accidental Twister ever played. Uh, so watch your step, because this is the Hyatt Regency walkway collapse. On July 17th, 1981, 111 people were killed and over 200 more injured when a suspended walkway in a large Kansas City hotel atrium collapsed due to a defective design in the walkway's construction. It is the deadliest accidental structural failure in American history. Damn. Yep. Built in a revitalized part of downtown Kansas City called the Crown Center, construction on the Hyatt Regency Hotel had begun in 1978. The glamorous hotel, which would be the tallest building in the state of Missouri until 1986, 
boasted a revolving restaurant, an exhibit hall, conference facilities, over 700 guest rooms, and a large atrium. Dude, it also had a rotating restaurant on the top. Right, the revolving restaurant. Oh, you said that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Is that what revolving means? <laughs> yes. It, you know, some people argue over this. You say tomato, I say tomato. Oh, okay. Revolving, rotating. But yes, they did have that. Okay. The atrium was 60 feet high, walled in by glass, and had three suspended walkways spanning the length of the room, high above the ground floor. Specifically, the walkways, called sky bridges by the hotel, spanned across at the second, third, and fourth stories, with the fourth story walkway being lined up directly above the second story, walk, second story walkway and the third story walkway being offset. That is, it was neither above nor below another walkway. Oh, well, I feel already that uh, <laughs> you should have been on the third one, if anything. Right. But uh, yeah, I think this was a Hallmark building, right? Hallmark I, Cards owned I, Yes, the, something the, the like complex. that. Yeah, I de- I've definitely said that name keep coming up. I didn't look a whole lot into that, but yeah, I think they did. Yeah, you said it is the Crown Center Complex. Yeah, and the hotel is part was, of that. But all of it is owned by Hallmark so, Cards. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, so the Crown Center was also, or some variation of that name, owned that owned the Hyatt Regency. And so if Crown is a subsidiary of Hallmark, then yeah, the Hallmark yeah. owns all of it. All right. Or did, or does, I don't know. That's very interesting. Yeah. So do you have a good idea of what this area looks like? It's a big lobby atrium yeah. with these walkways going across from one side to the other and there's and there's kind of like balconies on these upper floors as well looking down on this big open space and they're suspended they're suspended walkways yeah okay i'm with you it was a visually impressive room and upon the hotel's opening in july 1980 became the venue for regularly held tea dances on friday evenings which attracted visitors in their thousands now josh (laughs) tell us what a tea dance is yeah so a tea dance was a dance held in the summer or autumn from 4 to 7 p.m. in the English countryside. So I don't know why they it came over across the pond well, to here. But. Okay, so in that, you're, you're right. Mm-hmm. Like, from what I found, that's that's accurate. That's originally kind of what they were. Obviously, British people drink tea. Um, right. But it kind of morphed. It, it became, the term became a little more nebulous. Yeah, and it was by just By the a, time yeah, of, like, dance. yeah. It, it's basically, like, they kind of have, like, a big band type of, you know, like... Um, Buddy Rich type of band. Yeah, honestly, playing. it sounds fun as shit. Yeah, it sounds kind of like the kind of music that they'd be playing at the Beverly Hills uh, Supper Club. <laughs> yeah. uh, to be honest with you, yeah. and that they they'd swing dance or do what or, you know do the the foxtrot and the whatever to whatever music. They play. I don't know anything about dancing. Yeah. Um. Th- Psh, but they would all that, and that they were having a full on dance competition that evening of the disaster. And and you know what? Like, uh, it became super popular. Like it started off kind of popular and then it just grew and grew week by week i read so right um and by yeah, this yeah. point it's they've been open this for a year one year it's almost one year uh to the day so they must have been having them quite often and they've gotten yeah so yeah there was uh, quite uh, a few people pretty, there, pretty regular like on friday evenings and i'm sure there are still people that do these kinds of things now it's just not as much of a mainstay in our culture not at all really uh the way it was at that time yeah On Friday, July 17, 1981, a tea dance was being held in the atrium, and there were between 1,500 to 2,000 revelers in the spacious room, both on the ground floor and on the walkways. The mood was festive that evening. While some folks were hanging out in small groups or lined up at the lobby bar, others were taking part in a dance contest and had numbers pinned to their backs. 
at 7.05 p.m. as they danced to the song Satin Doll, the fourth-story walkway suddenly dropped several inches, stopped momentarily, then collapsed altogether, pancaking onto the second-story walkway, which in turn collapsed, sending both walkways, some 65 tons of steel, glass, concrete, and people down onto the ground floor below. Yeah, they were 120 feet long. So Mm -hmm. they covered a lot of space and extremely heavy, and they fell right into a crowd of 2,000 people. Yes. A large dust cloud was kicked up by the walkways as they slammed down on the floor, followed by an eerie silence. Then the screaming began. Hundreds of people were trapped in the debris. Many were already dead, and even more were grievously injured. Those still alive found themselves in horribly contorted positions. As survivor Tom Weir later recounted, My left leg was across my chest, next to my head. My head was sideways on the floor, and I never hurt so much in my life. Another survivor described how his right leg was across his chest and behind his left ear, and his left leg was out of the socket, across his back, and behind his right ear. Take a moment, Josh, to imagine that position. I think I have that guy on here. I think his name is Mark Williams. Yes, I think, yeah. I'm going to read you his account real quick. Yes, absolutely. Mark Williams heard the bolt snap. He spread his legs to run. When the platform crashed, it pinned him in the splits position. Popped both his legs from their sockets, mm-hmm. just like Matt just described. Um, his left foot was wedged near his right ear. Yep, he was trapped in an 18-inch pocket, but remained conscious the whole time. He recounts that when we'll get to this in a second, but when the pipes burst, um, he was very afraid of drowning because he was stuck in that position in an 18-inch pocket. And uh, something interesting about Mark Williams was he was the very last one to be pulled from the wreckage alive. Okay, I didn't know that. It took nine and a half hours. I mean, I know we're going to get about to get to the rescue yeah. effort, but yeah. So. Okay. There were numerous fractured pelvises, ankles, legs, and spines, and those were among the milder injuries sustained. As one witness reported, there were people screaming for help and trapped underneath, but we couldn't do anything to help them. There was a man walking out with a woman, and her arms and her leg were gone. Later, he said she died in his arms. The collapse had resulted in a heap of shattered concrete and glass with twisted steel girders and body parts protruding. There was little even the rescue workers could initially do to help those trapped deep in the wreckage. To make matters worse, the collapse had broken off water supply pipes, which were now gushing hundreds of gallons of water onto the atrium floor, turned red by the blood from all the mangled bodies. Oh, my God. What a scene, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, 27-year-old salesman Michael Lonchar says, it all looked like a human sandwich, arms and legs hanging out. Yeah. Man. We're talking like <clears throat> like a, a hoagie or bologna sandwich <laughs> of people, concrete, yeah. glass, and The concrete, steel, the glass, and steel are the like bread. rebar and stuff sticking out. Yeah. yeah. This is the top layer of the bread. Right. And the floor, the dance floor was the bottom bread. Right. And the people were the meat. People were the meat. But the water running red because of... Uh, Blood yeah. So absolutely. And, yeah, there was a the um, a fire department official who walked in. He thought that the that the that lobby had a red carpet. Uh, wow. Because he didn't realize it was just that the water was red from the blood and the the, wow. the, the floor was a completely different color. He he thought that the red of the water was from the uh, red carpet underneath. That's how it's. I mean, it's, it's almost like this pool of blood, like giant pool. I mean, like actual pool, not a puddle of blood uh, in this large uh, room. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the it's a, it's another situation where you know rescue workers after the fact were traumatized 
Um, in fact, just before we started, I read one of them uh, apparently committed suicide. Oh shit! Um, so it was a, yeah, it was a, a well traumatic thing for them to experience. Just, just like when we we're talking about with, with Travis the Chimp. Let's run it back for a second though, because you said um, about the song that was playing. Um, yeah, I just I read that the band had just come back from break. They just started playing Duke Ellington's Satin Doll, mm-hmm. and and it collapsed. And then there happened to be a camera crew there that day, which is fascinating in itself. And there's footage right. of this thing all over YouTube. Oh yeah. But do you want to play some Duke Ellington Satin Doll right now? Yeah, yeah. Let's hear the song. <laughs> all right. Well, this, this is the, this is what they're this is the song that was playing uh, when the uh, the collapse occurred. This is what they heard. It's two minutes long. Just stay with it. It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. So here we go. So that was Satin Doll by Duke Ellington. Man, what a beautiful, what a beautiful piece that was. Rescue workers soon found that they did not have the equipment to move the debris and extricate the survivors, so they called upon the local construction community to assist in the efforts. For their part, the local construction community responded energetically, bringing in, among other things, jackhammers, concrete saws, and finally cranes to move the debris. In some instances, rescue workers had to cut through dead bodies in order to get to survivors. In at least one case, a survivor was nearly impaled by a jackhammer as it punched through between his arm and rib cage, and then again between his legs. Paramedics soon found themselves engaged in a large triage effort, 
having to decide where to focus their limited manpower based on who they had a chance of saving and who they did not. A nearby conference room in the hotel was used as a temporary morgue as bodies were pulled from the wreckage. The rescue would ultimately take 14 hours to complete. 111 people died the day of the collapse, and another three succumbed to their injuries in the ensuing weeks, leading to an overall death total of 114. Yeah, dude, they had to go in, and they had to, emergency personnel had to put, um, pump oxygen through tubes of people that they actually found, like through the rubble, like, hey, take this tube, put it in your nose, we're going to pump oxygen to you, and so you can breathe a little right. bit until yeah, we that's, can get you out, basically. That's another, yeah, that's exactly, that's, that's another thing that I, I haven't mentioned yet, uh, the oxygen levels for these people trapped in the debris uh, was running low. Yeah. Um, Dr. Joseph Wackerly, who is the was the triage supervisor at the scene at the time, mm-hmm. says he had to whistle every now and again for all the workers to be silent to stop working so he could hear so they cries. could hear the cries. Yeah, man. And and he man. gets he gets a you're a hero buddy award. Yeah, I, I like that. I want to I want to start awarding that because most of these stories they they have uh, at least one if not multiple heroes and there's there's certainly a lot of heroes in this but he gets particularly called out because. Uh, like we mentioned, the triage efforts and, and the efforts to find and, and save these people was uh, intense. Um, so, Dr. Joseph Wackerly, you're a hero, buddy. Yep. Absolutely. Funny name, but a hero. The subsequent investigation would uncover serious defects in the design of the walkways that were the result of miscommunication between the engineering firm Jack D. Gilliman Associates and the Haven Steel Construction Company. Now, bear with me. We're going to try to, this is something that it's, you know, you can, you try to explain and it's kind of hard to convey. And then if you just showed somebody a picture of what you're talking about, it's all very clear. And obviously being in an auditory kind of thing here, or uh, it's hard to show pictures. You can't show pictures over podcast. So I'm going to do the best I can to describe uh, what's going on. But definitely if you're interested, just take a look online. It might sound complicated on here, but if you just look at a picture, it's all very clear what was going on. The second floor walkway was suspended from the fourth floor walkway, which, as mentioned previously, was directly above it. The fourth floor walkway was in turn suspended from the atrium roof framing by a set of six hanger rods. The original design had called for those hanger rods that were anchored into the roof framing to extend all the way down to the second floor walkway, thus suspending both the second and fourth floor walkways from the roof framing. The walkways had steel support beams that ran their length along each side through which the hanger rods would pass. The walkway would then be secured in place by a nut and washer. Since a nut and washer would have to be under the fourth floor walkway as well as the second, the entire hanger rod would have to be threaded to screw the nut into place. So are you with me so yeah. far? Yeah. And it should be mentioned, it was later noted that even this original design, because of that very fact, was it was not a practical design. Haven Steel Company, who was hired to fabricate the hanger rods, believed the threading on the rod would likely be damaged during installation of the walkways as the rods would have to be in place before each walkway was installed. Thus, they suggested a change in the design so that instead of the ceiling rods going all the way down to the second floor walkway, a second set of rods suspended the second floor walkway from the support beams of the fourth floor walkway. Making it twice as heavy and bearing twice the load, right? Exactly. Essentially doubling the load of the fourth floor walkway support beams. How would they think that that's okay? Like, Well, so... There's here's kind of an explanation of what happened. Jack D. Uh, Jack Gilliman Associates approved this change in design, assuming that Haven Steel would know that the change would necessitate the inclusion of stiffener plates to the fourth floor walkway support beam to strengthen its load capacity. 
This assumption, however, was an error as Haven Steel did not include the stiffener plates. So it was just a miscommunication. And I can tell you from experience, never assume your subcontractors know anything. You never, I mean, obviously everyone knows, you know, about assuming and all that stupid shit, but you you don't want to be assuming and you definitely don't want to assume your subs are going to do what they're supposed to do because they fuck things up all the time. So it's crazy. I mean, why? and, And you're talking about something that's obviously very important. Um, and they just assumed that they would know to do that without confirming and, and, and all that. Moreover, the support beams consisted of two halves welded together at the top and the bottom of the beam running lengthwise. This design as implemented did not meet Kansas City's existing building codes yet had passed inspection. The collapse occurred because the fourth floor walkway support beams were pulled off of their support rods with the support nut and washer tearing right through the beam which tore open along its welded seams. Thus, the National Bureau of Standards would conclude that two factors had contributed to the collapse. Number one, the inadequacy of the original design for the support beam hanger rod connection. And number two, the change in hanger rod arrangement that essentially doubled the load on the fourth floor walkway support beam hanger rod connection. Federal investigators would further determine that at the time of collapse, the maximum load on the fourth floor support beam hanger rod connection was just 31% of the capacity required under, under the Kansas City Building Code. In fact, from the day of their construction, the walkways were barely able to support their own weight. Wow. That's crazy as mm-hmm. fuck. And then it crashed to the ground. And then two days after the collapse, Pat Foley, who is the president of the Hyatt Hotel chain, insisted that the catwalk, and this is a quote, the catwalks were designed to hold people shoulder to shoulder, as many as you can jam in there. This is two days after. So... I mean, can we give an asshole of the week award? Well, I mean, we you definitely want to call out when people fucked up um, or said something that. How it, could you? They, I mean, that's. Well, you know, this was after the collapse. Like, yeah. How little sense do you have to have? Like, you need to be quiet and let the investigation run its course before you say, um, what these things were designed or able to do, because obviously they were not capable. Uh, they were not. Because even, and the, the thing is, even as originally designed, even with the single hanger rods, they were only going to be at 60% of the capacity they needed to be. So the design was never a good one. It was flawed to begin with. I so mean, you have it, you have it because each one of those walkways weighed over 32 tons. Um, and you have, they're hanging from these rods with a, with a nut and washer. Yeah. That's what's holding them up. Yes. Um, so even, even with, if they'd both been suspended from the, um, the ceiling, uh, with the single, uh, rod, which would have helped a lot, um, they still would have been at the, at the capacity they needed to be under the building code. And it's just, and it's just a, a, a bad design because you'd have to have a rod, a threaded rod that would run like two, the length of two or three stories. Um, and it would have to be in place and they'd have to raise up the walkway through the rods. And this is a 32 ton walkway. Yeah. So, I mean, Haven steel, their, their concern was valid as far as the the rod, the threading would get damaged. Um, so, I mean, it was a, it was a bad design from the start, but obviously, you know, the miscommunication on the, on the changing the, the hanger rod situation made a bad situation, uh, even worse. That's crazy. I mean, they went from 60% down to 30%. Yeah. Uh, when they right, it, they, they doubled, they, yeah. they made it even worse, and they doubled the the, the load on that fourth floor uh, support beam. I'm going to read you a couple more 
quotes for people who were there that night who were victims. This is Bridget Cleary, a 23-year-old nurse at the time. For a half a second, there was silence. I heard the tinkling of broken glass and a stream of water broke from broken pipes. A soft white dust filled the air. The music stopped, and then everyone started screaming. So that's horrifying. Um, this is from Betty Nelson. An old lady was on top of my ankle screaming. I said to her, be calm, breathe deep, but she kept struggling. I felt her last movement. She's dead. Yeah, and Man. one of the uh, interviews I watched of one of the survivors, I think it might have been one of the ones you mentioned, um, said there was a, a, a young girl near him, and he prayed with her. Oh, and that was Mark Williams, I yeah, think. Mar- yeah, yeah, I think it was Mark. That, the guy and, who got and in a split. after a while, he didn't hear from he couldn't. She wasn't talking anymore, oh, and, damn, and he, she, she had passed. And you're just stuck there, bro. And um, the thing about the water was I read that they were not hooked into the city, that they were hooked into their own their own tanks? supply tanks yeah and so they couldn't thing. when it, they, they collapsed they right they, these the, pipes were just broke and so i mean just so they just, just spilled in. all the water out right. so the tanks were empty there's no way the city could cut it off basically is okay is the point there right. 18 pairs of husbands and wives died 18 pairs mm. yeah i mean this is a this was a a thing that husbands and wives go to i mean this is exactly the kind of thing that they would go to so yeah you're gonna have a lot of married couples out yeah ultimately after boarding up the area for repairs the Hyatt would reopen 75 days later without the skywalks and without anything, even to this day, to memorialize the victims. The owner of the hotel paid over $140 million in legal claims to the victims and their families. Jack D. Gilliman Associates lost his engineering license in Missouri and other states. And Jack Gillum himself would spend the rest of the time, the rest of his, his life, kind of as, almost like a, as a penance, uh, lecturing on the importance of a proper. Uh, procedures in, in, in engineering firms yeah. as far as communication, as far as testing, and, and just basically all, uh, basically on how to not do all, make all the mistakes that his which was the right thing to do, made, which was yeah, yeah exactly, and you know, so I got it, saw two victims who kind of had very differing opinions on, you know, the folks who were responsible for the collapse, and one of them was very angry at how they dealt, you know, I, I think over the miscommunication over, you know, all the, the events that led to this, of the yeah. failed inspections, all that was very bitter about it. And another guy was another survivor kind of felt like, well, they were victims too. I mean, they didn't want this to happen that, that you know, basically their lives were shattered and ruined uh, too. So you kind of had both perspectives. Yeah. You uh, don't go into building something like that thinking it's going to not work out. Right. But you can't be nonchalant about it. But you can't, yeah, exactly. You, you can't be, you, on, on the other hand, you don't want to be flippant about it. Like it, To pardon the pun, but you have to understand the weight of the situation. Yes. So, and speaking of that, after 12 hours, the workers thought they had cleared all the bodies, right? Mm-hmm. But by 7.15 a.m., um, they lifted the final slab, and beneath that slab were 31 more people. Right, so, right. These things, these slabs were huge, man. I yeah, mean, it, it took them a while because they, they ultimately had to get cranes, uh, like those boom cranes that you see yeah. like major construction in there. Uh, they had to rip open the entrance to the hotel to where they could get them in position uh, to finally lift this stuff up. Before that, I mean, they're just chiseling away at it with ha- jackhammers and whatnot to do what they can. But to really move the thing, they had to get the cranes in there. And when they yeah. did, they uncovered, uh, like you said, a bunch more uh, bodies. Yes. Yeah. I want to take a second to let you know how important your support is to us in the life of this podcast. We are completely independent, which means we do this on our own. It's just the two of us. But it's just me and Matt. That's it. 
So rating and sharing us anywhere you get your podcasts and giving to our Patreon are the two easiest ways to make sure we can go on. So if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please like, comment, rate, share, and donate so we can continue to make you feel dread and uneasiness through these true macabre stories. Now back to the show. Yeah, I think I'm 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 thinking the people who are on the floor on the ground level who got they're probably in the worst. That's the worst spot, obviously. Like I mean, all of it's falling on you. Yes. And you're at the very bottom. So like, there's more. If you somehow survive the initial collapse, there's yes. more chance you're going to drown. If you're in that area, I would I would imagine being on the fourth floor walkway would have been the best would have been the scenario best possible scenario. But I don't think you know. But God, none, there's no good great. scenarios. Uh, so, just imagine yourself just there at a at a dance. You might be with your partner, you might not be. You just or you go up there and you just are admiring the the hotel. It looks beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you're standing on the walkway, and all of a sudden you just hear this crunch, and your ass is crunched too. Yeah. And, and they all describe this 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 silence. This like right after it happened, there was this moment of, of silence where like people were just absorbing the shock of what had just happened right. before the screaming and everything started in. Because they were just drinking like, and dancing and yeah, having a good like, time. What? Because like, it, it always isn't that always what happens when shit yeah. goes down? Like when some abrupt shit goes down, there's always a moment where people are just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, of course you got to process it. Yeah, exactly. Remember the um, this is off subject a little bit, but the shooter in Vegas where people were at the concert and they didn't know where the fucking bullets were mm-hmm. coming from, and the guy right. was in the hotel room way up. I mean. Can you imagine being shot upon, like as you're enjoying a fucking concert? Like that's this is, that's a little different, but this is, I mean, any, anything like that could happen at any moment. Is what I'm saying. That's a macabre reality for you. But <laughs> yeah, right. not not to end the show right here. Yeah, right, but I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying that's what it is. No, it it definitely is. Um, so how does this rank for you, man? As as far as a way to go out, that's oh, being crushed is well, if instant. I always, not terrible. always if instant is not as bad, but I mean, this better is than a, better than Travis being uh, eaten by well, a chimp or getting your face ripped off. Mm, that's a good out. question. Well, if you're crushed to death immediately, then you don't know it even happened. Probably right, so. right. But would you? Well, let, well, let me compare. Um, try to find a more uh, comparable situation. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> this being in a the worst game of Twister you've ever played. <laughs> right. Um, or to throw it back, Nutty Putty Cave mm. stuck in a very in a too narrow cave upside down. Just in terms of, mm, and let's pe- say either way you're gonna die with people there's obviously uh, or alone, right? Well, same situation. So there might be people around you mm-hmm. that you can shout to. Oh yeah, like his I mean, put yourself in the same situation. Um, well, I mean, in both situations, there were people around, sort of around yeah. you. Yeah, I would be crushed. I would be in the Hyatt walkway incident. I would choose that one. Really? Mm-hmm. The, so I is it? Be, is, I don't like tight spaces. Yeah. I don't well, like but tight ti- spaces. But you'd be in a tight space if you're in a pile of debris. I'm saying, would you rather be suspended upside down in a, in a cave? I mean, granted, yeah, the, the cave is going to be very, it's going to be tighter probably. But the dude had his legs, legs out of their sockets yeah. and pinned to the either side of his body. Um. I don't know. That's a good. That's I mean, a we're we're gonna say we're we're saying in this in this hypothetical you're gonna die either way to make it comparable. 
That's a good one. I don't. I think I'd rather. Uh, but then again, being upside down for a, over a day, I don't know. That's a tough one, man. I, I think I'll pick being upside down though, because I don't. You know, I'm not very flexible. And <laughs> oh well, the walkway made him flexible. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, these were dancers, so you know they were limber. <laughs> so I don't know if that helped reduce the um, the overall death total. <laughs> You mean like dance, like one got spun out of the way real quick or something? <laughs> well, no, like they just could handle the position. Like the, the uh, walkway, I, I guess the walkway wanted to dance a little bit too. Oh. And it just kind of put them in some awkward positions. And, you know, if they'd been less, you know, if, it'd been, if it had been like a uh, computer geek convention going on <laughs> there, there might have been a higher death count because those guys wouldn't have been as flexible, you know? Yeah, it's good that they had some athletic. So, you, so I just want to make sure I know what you're saying. If Mark Williams was something other than a dancer, if he were, if he were not a his dancer, his legs would have shot out and never well, came back. Not, and not something other. But if he were not as uh, presumably as limber, I mean, what else, what other word is that? Yeah. Limber, because he was a dancer. Yeah, that I think that probably that helped, helped him. them. Well, it took him a year to recover. I think. Completely right. So if he wasn't a dancer, again, it might have been years? a harder, might have been a harder road back to recovery. So, all right. Well, I know, think I'd still rather be crushed. When God closes just, a door, He opens a window. Yeah. When he, I guess, and you know what, you know, but you know what, I just thought of. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Hallmark, the Hallmark company. Didn't send any cards to any of these people. They did not. No, con- no condolences. They did give him. They didn't put any cards at the hotel. <laughs> God, they they gave him one hundred forty million dollars. They could have sent it to him in a card. There was probably a Hallmark card store. <laughs> Sorry, within feet of that uh, lobby, and there's nothing. <laughs> they didn't put any flowers there or anything. I mean, they could have sent the Valentine's cards to say, "I have a crush on you." Yes, yes, they <laughs> sent, sent their million dollars in that card. Oh, I did. I did find this though. They actually. Did give um, a whopping twenty five thousand dollars to a memorial, so it's across the street from um, the incident because that hotel now is a Sheraton, mm-hmm. and Hyatt actually refused saying it, it's a Sheraton now and they don't owe any money to the fund, but later gave five thousand dollars. So fuck them. Yeah, their, their whole deal is is to try to just be like act like it didn't happen, move on. Uh, they don't want to have their name associated with it yeah. and all that stuff, which you get, but it's like. Dude, y'all, y- ultimately <laughs> y'all were responsible because you should have done the, what the whole project is is at your behest. Um, What's that guy's name? Uh, Pat Foley. What a fucker. He's a, a fucker of the day award. Mm. The president of the Hyatt that said you could have jammed in as many as possible shoulder to shoulder. But then on the other side, you have that guy who was part of the engineering team or was the president was and the went on a company and just did the right thing and went on a, um, a tour of penance basically like you said so yeah well he and he had gone they called him the day when it happened and so he'd gone to to the hotel uh that day and saw that i mean immediately determined what had happened that the the beams had been pulled right through or the right off of the rods you're standing Um, saw that there was no stiffener plates but the thing is even with the stiffener plates um that that was only half the problem uh because they were so they were box beams. So if you looked at a cross section of it, it's it's like a rectangle, and yeah. they were welded at the tops and the bottoms, which created a weld point is going to create a weak point in the mm-hmm. beam. 
And that's exactly where all the pressure was because the, the nut and washer are pressing up are pushing up against that. Yeah. Um, so all it, you had all too much of a load capacity on it and, and it's a, on a weak point in the support beam. Yeah. Take a look at the pictures. Like we'll put one up on our um, Instagram or whatever, but you can, you can see exactly what we're talking about. There's pictures of on, on um, YouTube of the stripped nuts and the, I mean, right. <laughs> it was going to happen. Right. Uh, so if they had the stiffer plates, in your opinion, since you've worked a little construction, it was only a matter of time, right? I mean, I mean, could have held I more people, say, but but I it's eventually they said happened. they said well, yeah, I I can't really say, but even as originally designed, it was apparently still a bad design and only going to be sixty percent of the um, capacity required by code. Right, yeah. So I, I it I was not a good design. I think even from the the start, but the change made it. Uh, twice as bad so as i keep mentioning there was a cameraman that day um the actual collapse was not caught on film because at that very moment he was changing his battery oh my yeah God. i like i watched a whole interview with him he's like we changed it we had to change the battery and it happened then so he said they caught the prior and literally right after it happened while there's still dust in the air and you can go on and see it on youtube somebody made like a four or five part documentary out I of saw it that. yeah it so was an old a documentary yeah steel workers or just structures around in the eighties and so in the late seventies and early eighties was kind of just shit. Yeah. I, you, I saw that. Yeah. There's other notable ones like, uh, the 1976 Tentum dam collapse, the 1978 Hartford civic center collapse. That was in Connecticut though. That was, that collapsed six hours after the Yukon bas- basketball game. So that's right. That could have killed a bunch of people. We could have done a story on that one, but no. And then 1979. So a year, two years before this, the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri, collapsed. Right. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just in, in Kansas City. It was across the country. There was a slate of structural uh, failures and, and stuff of that sort. Um, and I I don't know exactly why that was, but it definitely led to renewed efforts to uh, improve regulations and standards. But this was the worst accidental structural collapse. So do you know that puts it right behind in terms of worse structural collapse, in terms of death total, you accidental or just structural collapse? Structural collapse. Nine eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's you know obviously you can't. That's not a you can't. That's not a structural collapse when you run a freaking plane into it. Yeah. Although some might argue that the building should have been with it. I remember I've I've heard people say something to that effect, and obviously the conspiracy theorists say that the building could have held that amount of weight, and so there must have been something oh, that caused yeah. the collapse, but. No, it just was a loaded, fully fueled plane. Yeah. That, you know, just and three buildings ended up collapsing. So, I mean, but that's, yeah. So that's, that's the worst overall. But, but prior to 9-11, it was just the worst structural collapse in history. The, the Hyatt Regency. It's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of it um, right. prior to this. So right. Prior to our but, but at the, yeah, at the time, research. this was, this was national, a big national story uh, yeah. when it happened. Yeah. The people were in, in Kansas City were very, um, distraught over it so is that ever something you think about when you go into a building um because i know i do occasionally think about fire safety that i'm more likely to think about that i don't ever really worry about being a building in like i don't ever worry about structural failure i guess is that something you ever think about when you're in a in a building maybe a, a few times i do remember one time and this is on this is purposely um they had there was like an Art, it was an art museum and they had a glass installation. And so they're glass pieces, mm-hmm. giant ones hanging above your head. Yeah. And so I do remember consciously being like, don't 
stand under these. Like yeah. these people aren't, they're just human beings. Right. Oh yeah. So, and any of these pieces could get right hit barely or the air conditioning hit it wrong and it snaps. And then, yeah, I'm not, I'm not being a victim. Then some final destination type shit. Right. So yeah. no, I have thought about it before, but not, I mean, not really. No, I mean, yeah. Well, I will say, so I, when I was in Tokyo, I went to the, the Tokyo tower, which is like, it's sort of like the Eiffel tower cool. yeah. It's really tall. And they had this part where you, when you go to the very top, it's a glass on the, the floor is glass. So you can okay. walk over it and look down. And I mean, even knowing like this thing is not going to break, like it's not going to collapse. I'm sure thousands of people stay on this every, every year or whatever. Like I stood up for a little bit and I was like, I'm getting off this. I don't yeah. like it. I don't like it. Cause you never know. Like at some, you just never know. Like you said, people, yeah, people can make mistakes. I've seen something like that. I think it might've been in Tokyo too, where they had a screen, like an iPad in one of the, um, the glass things. And it looked like the glass. Mm-hmm. And then when you step on it, it looks like it's breaking. But it's just a screen. Um, So it's like a picture or whatever that happens when people step on it. Right. That was pretty funny. But that that is frightening. Uh, Like I said, I'm terrified of heights. Yes. So I don't I don't really fuck with that. Yes. If I was at the Hyatt, I wouldn't be I wouldn't have been on any of those skywalks. You wouldn't have. Nah. Nope. Yeah. I I mean, I don't do shit that I don't like walking across suspended bridges. I don't like I don't like suspended things. I just feel like they could come loose. What about. Okay. What about the bridge downtown? The bridge downtown. I mean, looks you can feel, safe, you can feel it shaking. Yeah, I don't like walking across it at all. I can, I can understand that. Yeah, it's a nice bridge. It's well built. It feels sturdy. I mean, you can feel. And, well, it feel. It, it does. You can feel it shake. <laughs> I don't. Th- I mean, I think it's you're supposed like that's normal. And think about that right. one falling. You would fall into the into the river you, and yeah. you would die because there's that would be a gigantic rocks. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, so it's high not in deep. The it's air. not deep. It's, you're just yeah. falling on a bunch of rocks. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, our bridge is way high in the air, um, but yeah, dude. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. That's our show for tonight. If you're enjoying all these stories you're hearing, please follow us in this podcast and tell a friend too. You can join the macabre mob today. And so just remember to stay safe and try not to find yourself in your own macabre reality. Bye-bye. Bye.